morning, everybody. It's good to see you here at Grace Church as we continue in a series uh, that we started several weeks ago now that we've been calling This is Grace. And uh, of course, the topic that we've been investigating uh, throughout this series, obviously, is the topic of grace. The reason we've been doing this series, just quite frankly, is, uh, is because here at Grace Church, we believe that grace is really, 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 really important. Um, not only is grace the name of our church, uh, but grace is also kind of the central message that we focus on as a church. Um, it is what we believe everyone needs more than they know, is a real encounter with the grace of God. And it kind of is our heartbeat here at Grace Church. And so it's because of that that we said, man, we want to spend six weeks, and we really just want to sort of investigate this topic. Man, what is grace. And so our thesis statement, if you're just joining us this morning, if you're a guest with us, our thesis statement for this whole series, kind of the big idea that we're unpacking, is just quite simply this. We've been saying that grace is not a concept to be understood. It is a reality to be experienced. And that's kind of the big idea, our thesis, that grace is not simply a concept to be understood, right? It is a reality to be Experience. And basically what we've been saying is we've been saying that there's some things in life that we all know this, that simply having a knowledge about them doesn't really say much about the experience, right? There's to experience something is far better than just to know about something. And so, for example, right, you can know about children, um, but it is a way different thing when you experience having kids. Big, big difference, right? Um, You can know what marriage is. You can have a definition of marriage. It's a totally different thing to experience marriage. And we said, man, grace is a lot like that that you can have a knowledge of grace, but, it, but, but the real question is, have you had an experience with grace? So the question that we've been dealing with in the series is not so much, do you know what grace is, right? The real question we've been dealing with in the series is, have you experienced it, right? Has, great, has the grace of God uh, been an experience that you've encountered in your life? Is it a reality that you've grasped onto? And so we said, like, like, like throughout this whole series, that we believe that a real encounter with grace, an experience with grace, is what all of us needs, and it has the power to utterly transform every aspect of your life. And so it's because of that in the series, what we've been doing then is, is instead of trying to give definitions or explanations of grace, instead for, for six weeks, we've been looking at six indications Six indications that you've encountered grace. Kind of, I guess you could say it this way, six results or symptoms of grace in your life. And so we've been looking at those each week, looking at a different indication. The first week uh, we were together, some of you might remember if you were here, we said you know that you've experienced grace, indication one, when you're disturbed by grace. And so we unpacked that idea for a day. The next week, if you were here, you might remember we said the second indication that you've experienced grace is that you're devastated by sin. You become devastated by your sin. The, week, uh, the third week, last week when we were together, we took, looked at the third indication. The third indication was this. We said, you know, you've experienced grace when you become disinterested in fairness. And so we talked about that. And by the way, let me just say that if anything I just said sounds confusing to you or maybe is intriguing, I'd really encourage you to go onto our website. You can either subscribe to our podcast or you can watch those videos for free. Listen to those sermons. I think a lot of what we're saying today will make sense in the context of the greater conversation. But today what we want to do is we want to spend all of our time looking at the fourth indication that you have experienced grace. And here it is. The fourth indication, how do you know you've experienced grace? You know you've experienced grace when you begin to become driven by grace. Okay? You become driven by grace. That's how you know. Now, what am I talking about when I'm talking about this idea of being driven by grace? Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me? We're going to go to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Okay, Titus chapter 2. So grab your Bibles with me and go ahead and flip to Titus chapter 2. Um, and uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, if uh, you're a guest with us and you don't have a Bible, no problem. We have some for you. And you can grab one of our Bibles there. Uh, you're going to find Titus chapter 2 on page 835 in those Bibles that we have laid out there for you. So feel free to grab there. 
I mean, go to, uh, to Titus chapter 2. And as you guys are flipping to Titus chapter 2, let me just give you a little story, a story I heard uh, a couple years ago or about a year ago. So about a year ago, um, I was in my life group, and uh, one of the gentlemen in my life group, in the course of our conversation, a guy that goes here to our, to our church, he gave an illustration um, in the course of our, our discussion at life group that I never forgot. I thought it was really, really helpful, and I thought maybe I'd uh, share it with you today because it stuck with me for so long. But basically, he told me this story, and apparently this is a story that's told in many different times in many different ways. It's kind of like a modern-day parable. You may have heard it before. There's a man who is walking along a road, and he encountered three masons, three stone masons. Okay? And these guys were each kind of chiseling some stones in the blocks, all three of them. So the man noticed that the first guy, the first man who was chiseling the stone into a block, he noticed that he was doing it kind of, kind of with a, a little bit of an attitude, right? Seemed like he was a little annoyed. He would constantly be looking at his watch. And, he'd be, and so the man goes up to the first mason and he says to him, what are you doing? And, uh, and the guy says, well, what does it look like I'm doing? Chiseling a stupid rock. And, I, and I, honestly, I can't wait till I'm done, you know, get out of here at five and I get to go home. And, and so the, the man looks at the second mason. There's another mason who's also chiseling a stone into a block, and he looks like as he's doing it, he seems to be a little bit more diligent in the way that he's chiseling the rock. And so the man goes up, he says, what is it that you're doing? And the guy said, well, I'm earning a wage. He said, I'm earning a living, and sure, it's hard work, and it's hot out here, and and it's laborious, but at the end of the day, I get paid, and I get to make a living off of uh, this job that I do. And so the man kept walking. He encountered the third man who was chiseling the, the rock into, the chiseling the stone into a block. And as he was doing it, you could tell he was way more attentive. He, he paid very close attention to detail. He would chisel. He would stand back. He would look at it, take in his work, come back at it. And he just, until everything was just right. And so the man went up to him. He said, what is it that you're doing? And the man said, oh. He said, I'm building the temple. I'm building the temple, right? Here you have three men who were doing the same thing. But we all know what they were actually doing was not the same thing at all, right? Outwardly, they were all doing the same action, but inwardly, they were all driven um, in different ways. Now, now, here's why I tell you that. This morning, all of us have one thing in common. Now, there's a very diverse uh, group of people that are here today, a lot of different worldviews represented, a lot of, maybe even a lot of different beliefs, a lot of stages in life. The one thing that we all have in common this morning is this. We are all sitting in church, right? It's something that we're all doing uh, together here Today, So we're doing the same thing, but the real question is, are we doing the same thing? Like outwardly, we're doing the same thing, but the reality is that inwardly, we're all doing something very different. And my guess is, if I asked you this morning, why is it that you're here at church today, I would probably get a diverse response if we were being really honest, right? So for some of you, if I said, why are you here today? If you're honest with me, you might say this. You might say, well, the reason I'm here is because I'm investigating Jesus, I'm not even sure if I believe any of this stuff. And so I just, I'm just coming out because I, you know, you guys have free coffee and I can come sit in here and listen and I'm just, invest, I'm not sure what I think yet, okay? For some of you are being honest, that's why you're here. For some of you, if I asked you why you're here, you would just tell me this. You'd be like, I don't know. I just, this is just what I do. You know, we just, this is, this is our Sunday routine. We get up, we go to church, we go to Rockney's. That's what happens every Sunday. And you don't even really think about it, right? It's just tradition. Uh, for some of you, if you were here, let's just be super honest, you're here because someone guilted you to be here, right? And so maybe you're like, my mom made me come, you know, my dad made me come, my, my husband drugged me out here, my wife, you know, made me come. And maybe the reason you're here is because you've been guilted into coming. And look, if that's you, quite honestly, I understand that, okay? When I was a kid, I used to tell people I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church, and I didn't want to go. 
and, uh, and some of you, that's the, that's the reason that you're here this morning. For some of you, the reason you're here is because of relationships, right? You have friendships, you have uh, deep relationships with other people, and one of the reasons that you like coming here is because you just love the people. You love seeing your friends, and you're here for that reason. Let's be super honest. Some of you are here this morning, quite simply, because you're trying to find a date, right? That's what you're looking for. And you're like, I'm not going to go to the bar because I don't want to meet someone there, but I'm going to go to church. And this church has a lot of really attractive people, don't we? And let's just admit it, the pastor, who is not among the least, right? It's a burden I have to bear in life, I understand. Uh, but, but that's why you're here, right? And the, here, here's the truth. We're all doing the same thing outwardly, but inwardly. Uh, we're all doing something very, very different. And the truth is, as it relates to every action and every behavior in our lives, we are all driven by something. Something drives us to do the things that we do. And here's what I'm going to talk about this morning. What I'm going to talk about is I believe that when a person encounters the grace of God, experiences grace, I mean for real, that what happens, that one of the indications, one of the results of that is that a person becomes driven by they become motivated by grace. And I mean in every aspect of life. I don't just mean as it relates to attending church. I mean everything. I mean your marriage becomes motivated by grace. Your relationships become driven by grace. I mean your job, the way that you interact at work, your work ethic, right? Your business practices become motivated by grace. Your sexuality, as weird as that might sound, becomes motivated, becomes driven by grace, your parenting becomes driven by grace, your finances become driven by grace. And I believe that when a person really experiences the grace of God, one of the indications that God's grace is, is really working in their life is that they begin to become motivated by the grace of God. Now, some of you are like, I'm not, I, I was tracking with you. I'm not really sure what that means, though, so I'm not really sure I'm tracking. So let me just, let me break it down in a way I think is really, really simple. I'll show you a quick chart. This is a chart that I think is not very profound at all. I just think it's helpful and it's clarifying. Um, this is actually a chart that I adapted from a guy named Mike Bullmore. Mike Bullmore is a pastor and a theologian. But basically, he says, imagine three concentric circles. And so here you have three concentric circles. He would say the outer circle is representative of our actions, Okay. So that's our actions, that's our behaviors. We all know what that is, right? That's the stuff we do, the, the, the actions that we take, our outward behaviors. So this morning, we're all sitting in church. That's an action, that's a behavior. And so if you look at the outer ring, we'd say that's your actions. If you go deeper into uh, this chart, the second ring would be our thoughts, right? The things that we think. And once again, this is not profound, right? This is very, very standard stuff. But it's what we think, right? This is, this is our thoughts. This is uh, our mental processes, our emotions. Um, this is the inner narrative that each one of us has that's going on inside of our mind, right? This is like, do you guys ever watch The Wonder Years? Remember that narrator's voice that you hear? That's your thoughts, right? That's a, and, and like I said, this isn't profound. Our thoughts drive our actions, we think certain things, and because we think certain things, it causes us to behave in certain ways. That's not profound. We all know that, right? Now, now, at the very core of this diagram, we would say, are your beliefs. What drives your thoughts, what ultimately will, will drive your actions is what you believe. Now, your beliefs, quite simply, are just the things that you believe are true. What do you believe is true? True about life, true about yourself, true about others, true about God, what do you believe is true? And what you believe is true is going to motivate what you think that's going to motivate your actions. Now, once again, very, very simple stuff. This isn't profound in any way. We all know how this works. But if you think back to our illustration of those three Masons, each one of them had a different belief system, didn't they? 
The first guy believed that he was just chipping a stupid rock. And because of that belief system, it affected the way that he thought. He thought, man, I can't wait to get out of here. This is futile work. I need to leave. And that affected his behavior. He chipped the stone. He did it begrudgingly. Right? The second guy had a belief. He believed he was earning a wage, earning a living. And because of that, it motivated his thoughts. He thought to himself, this is hard. It's laborious, but it's worth it. And that affected the way that he worked. He chiseled stone. He did it diligently. The third guy had a belief. He believed that what he was doing was building the temple. He believed that his work was honoring to God. And he was working for God. And because of that, it changed the way he thought. He worked with worship in his heart. And that, that in turn um, affected his behaviors. We all know how that works. Now, when a person encounters grace, what we find is in that center, what drives the Christian life is this idea of grace. It drives everything. And so uh, now is when we're going to Titus. I'll show you what Titus says to try to make this more clear. So here's what Titus says in chapter 2. This is so good, we're only going to look at two verses this morning. That's it. Just two verses. That's how good this is. So check it out. Verse 11. uh, Paul says to Titus, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, godly life in this present age. All right, so let me just pause there. We'll read it one more time just to let it sink in a little bit. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And what we see the Apostle Paul saying is that it's the grace of God that motivates us not only to say no to ungodliness, but also to say yes to godly living. This is one of several examples where we see this in scripture. So, so let's just break it down. Let's try to get our minds around this passage. Let's just start at the beginning. Notice what he says in the first part. He says, it's the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And that's an interesting way of saying that, isn't it? The grace of God has appeared. Now, what's he talking about? Well, Um, In the original language, the word appeared, it literally means this. It means revealed, it means made known, it means proved, it means shown. That's what it means. And so the Apostle Paul says, the grace of God has been proven. The grace of God has been shown. The grace of God has been revealed. And the question is, when did God's grace, when uh, when did it appear? When was it shown? When, When did it show up, right? Well, what Paul has in mind here, I'm sure some of you can guess, is he's talking about Jesus, And namely, he's talking about when Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of humanity. God became a human. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on our behalf. And after dying that death, he rose from the grave. And the apostle Paul says, in that act, the grace of God appeared. God proved his grace. You see, it's one thing to say, I think God is gracious. Hypothetically, God is a gracious God. It's a whole other thing to say, I have proof that God is gracious. I have an event that I can point to and I can say, see, I know God is gracious because he did that. That's what the cross is. Think about it this way, just to clarify. So when Jess and I were dating years ago, uh, we started to get serious in our relationship. And, uh, And as we started to get serious, our conversation started to become about the future, right? We started to talk about our life together. We began talking about the M word, about marriage, and, and it was a fun time. We were dreaming together about what that would look like, and we were like, man, you know, what one day we're going to be married, and where do we want to live, and how many kids do we want to have, and all those kind of things, and that became part of our conversations. We started getting pretty serious in dating. Now, did Jessica in that season, did she believe that I loved her, and I was committed to her, and that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her? Did she believe that? 
Well, yeah, you know, hypothetically, we had talked about it. I had told her that several times, right? But one day, everything changed because I proved it, right? And, and one day, in the parking lot of a police station, which is another illustration for another day, <laughs> I dropped down on one knee, right? And I opened a box, and inside of that box was cereal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> was, a, was a ring, right? A diamond ring. And I asked Jessica that day, would you be my wife? And I remember what she said. She said, of course. She didn't say yes. I still remember very vividly. She said, of course. And that day, listen, that day, something appeared, right? That day, there was evidence. She, she had always known that I loved her and was committed to her. But now she said, oh, no, 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 no. I got proof that he loves me and he's committed to me. I'm wearing it on my hand. He liked it and he put a ring on it, right? That's what she said. And, and here's what Paul's saying in this passage. He's saying, you guys, the grace of God has been proven. He showed it to us. Yeah, we've all known that hypothetically God is gracious, but when was the fullness of God's grace demonstrated to us? When, when did we in, in, in one action, in one demonstration, understand the full extent of God's incredible love and forgiveness for us? Well, the answer is on the cross, man. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was the most profound declaration that God loves us and he cares for us. And his grace was demonstrated on that cross when Jesus Christ died. So the apostle Paul says, man, God's grace has appeared. It showed up. We know that he loves us. We have something we can point to and say, see, told you. Which, by the way, it's, at this point, it's probably important for me just to mention, this is a quick aside. There's a, there's a good amount of people today who believe that Christianity is all about behaviors. That Christianity is a belief system that's all about behavior modification. In fact, there might be some of you who believe that today. If I said, what's it mean to be a Christian? You'd say, well, a Christian is someone who does these things and doesn't do these things. It's behavior modification. Um, you, you do this, you don't do that. You do this, you don't do that. And that's what makes a person a Christian. Now, let's just be clear on this. Christianity, following Jesus, is going to affect your behaviors. It's going to affect your actions. Absolutely. But Christianity is not fundamentally concerned with behavior modification. That is not at the core of Christianity. At the same time, I think it's also important to say there's a lot of people that think that Christianity, that following Jesus, is all about thought. It's all about philosophy, right? It's psychology. It's all about what was the philosophical worldview of Jesus and what were his teachings and what did he propagate and kind of a comparative worldview to other worldviews. And listen, of course, like we said, following Jesus is going to affect the way you think. Absolutely. Christianity is, is, is involves psychology, it involves philosophy, and it does affect our behaviors. But Christianity is at its core not fundamentally concerned with philosophy. What Christianity is fundamentally about at its very center is it's about a belief. It's about a truth. That Jesus Christ, it, that God in Jesus Christ has lavished upon us his grace. And when did that grace, when did that belief become evident? When did that become true? In an event and an event that happened in time, in space, in history, an event that we can point to and say, see, God loved us and he is gracious to us and we have proof of it. It's right there in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Christianity is all about. It all centers in that. And that's why the apostle Paul says this next thing. He says, the grace of God has appeared to all men. Now watch this, this, this next thing he says. This for years blew my mind. Verse 12, it, what's it? What's that? It's what's talking about. It's talking about grace. God's grace, it, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Isn't that fascinating? The Apostle Paul says, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to godliness. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. God's grace teaches us. Now, the word teach here is a real fascinating word. Uh, In the original language, the word teach there, it's the same word for a school teacher. It's the idea of a tutor who's helping out a young child. Imagine a parent telling a two-year-old, no, 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 no. Don't do that, don't do that. Do this, right? Imagine that. And, And Paul says, that's what grace is. Grace is a teacher to the Christian. Grace is our instructor, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to godliness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I first read this years ago, let's be completely honest with you, it baffled me. I was baffled by that because I thought to myself, how does God's grace teach me to say no to sin? How does that work? Because in my thinking, I thought, if anything, God's grace teaches me that I can get a free pass and sin more if I want to. Because God's grace tells me, like in Romans chapter 5, it says where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And my thought is, well, doesn't that mean that I should just sin all the more then? Because if God's just going to keep forgiving me over and over again, then shouldn't I just go on and sin more? Like, is that how that works? But Paul says, no, 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 no. God's grace doesn't teach you to say yes to sin. God's grace teaches you to say no. I'll be honest, you guys, that, can, that really baffled me. I'll tell you why it baffled me. Because for most of my Christian life, The times that I would say no to sin, and don't get me wrong, I didn't always say no to sin. There's a lot of times I said yes to sin. But the times that I would say no to sin, a lot of times I wasn't motivated or driven by God's grace. I was motivated or driven by the law, right? That made sense to me. God's law teaches me to say no to sin. And so I'd be tempted to do something that I knew wasn't pleasing to God, and I would think to myself, well, probably shouldn't do that, you know? God doesn't want me to. He commanded it in the Bible, And so even though it's fun, even though it's awesome, and even though everyone else is doing it and it feels good, I guess I'm just going to have to suppress my desires. I guess I'm just going to have to distract myself and think about something else, and I'm just going to have to walk away. See, a lot of times I was motivated by God's law, right? And the result was this, is that whenever I would fall into sin or I would stumble, I would end up feeling so guilty. I would end up feeling like God was so disappointed in me that I would want to hide, hide from God and hide from God's people. I think to myself, man, I can't go into God's presence. He's so disappointed with me. I screwed up. I broke his law. I can't go to life group. I can't go to church. I got to wait till I get my track record back. Then I'll be able to come back and be with God's people. And that was the result because I was saying no to sin because of the law of God. Because honestly, a lot of the reasons why I would say no to sin, not that I always say no to sin, but in my Christian life, a lot of the times, quite honestly, I would say no to sin is because of the fear of getting caught. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm a pastor. If people found out what, you know, if I did that and people found out, you know, I don't want to ruin the name of Grace Church and be on the headlines of all the papers. I don't want to, you know, I just don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want my wife to be mad at me. You know, I don't want somebody. And so a lot of times it's just the fear of getting caught. It was the law of God. But the Apostle Paul says something tricky here, man. He says, no, 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 no. What drives us to say no to sin and to say yes to God is his grace. Oh, it's his grace. Some of you are like, how does that work exactly? Can you, can you explain to me how that works? Let me take a stab at it. I can't say I got it all figured out, but let me tell you what I've learned, all right? I believe that following Jesus is not simply about behavior. It's not. And it's not simply about philosophy. It involves those things, but not fun- foundationally. It's about a belief. It is about a truth. It is about 
God's grace to us. And when was that proven to us? It was proven to us in the cross. And so I believe that the way that we say no to temptation, to live a a life that God doesn't want for us, it begins there. It begins with this. It begins by reviewing that event. Man, a belief. Man, Jesus Christ, you know, God in flesh, he came lived a perfect life. He died, a per- he died a sacrificial death for me, purchased forgiveness, right? And that belief is gonna start to affect the way I think. And so I'm gonna think differently, right? Think about it. If you actually believe that that's true about God, that God became a human, that he died uh, for your sins, that, that that's gonna affect the way you think. And so you think about it. You think about it. You think to yourself, man, if God did that, that must mean a couple things. That must mean first that sin's a pretty big deal. Sin's a big deal, right? If it's gonna cost God his son, if it's gonna require such a sacrifice on Jesus' part, then that must mean that sin is a terrible, terrible thing in the eyes of God. And it also must mean this. It must mean God really loves me. I mean, like, for real. God must really love me. Otherwise, why bother, right? Why even become a man and endure what he endured? Why would he be on the cross and look out at a group of people who are crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing? Why would he do that if he didn't love us, right? And so I'm thinking now. And as I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm tempted to do this thing that I think is gonna feel good in the moment. But because I know that my heavenly father loves me, and I know that sin is a big deal to him, and how do I know that? Because of what he did for me. That must mean that this thing that I want is not gonna lead to happiness and bliss. That must mean that my heavenly father knows that this thing is gonna lead me to slavery, it's gonna lead to hardship in my life, and it's not gonna lead to the places that he wants for me. And so because of that, you know what I'm gonna say? No, no sin, negatory, not this time, right? And the grace of God has taught me to say no, because Jesus Christ, the grace of God, has delivered me from that. He, Jesus came to not, to, not to free me to sin, but to free me from sin. Think about it this way, all right? I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that I am in, I've been in prison for the past 10 years. Now, this is an illustration, obviously, and so I don't know why I'm in prison. You can make up your own uh, reasons. But let's imagine I've been in prison for the past 10 years, and for whatever reason, I've been put in this very crude and inhumane prison. All right, I'm confined for the past 10 years to a five foot by five foot cell. Um, I, I am given very, very little. In fact, the only things I have in my cell with me are a bumpy mattress, right? That's on a cold floor. It's very, very uncomfortable. And let's say the only other thing I have in there is a sink, a small sink, really grimy, kind of nasty. Every time I would turn it on, the water's rusty, sulfuric, right? Just gross. And let's just say for 10 years, this is my existence. So whenever I sleep, I sleep on that bumpy mat. Whenever I needed to drink a water, I drink out of that sink. Whenever I need to wash myself, I wash myself in that crummy sink. And let's say that I'm in this situation for 10 years. And then one day, you show up, all right? And you pay my bail, which, by the way, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And so you pay my bail. And let's say that after paying my bail, you show up to my cell and you release me. You set me free. I'm out. And you say, man, you're free now. You can get out of that five by five nasty cell and you can come and experience the world now and, you can, and you're free from all of that, right? Now just imagine for illustration's sake that every day after that, you catch me trying to go back in my cell, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna go sleep on my mat, you know? And, and you catch me like trying to wash myself in the sink. Now, what are you gonna tell me, right? Are you gonna come up to me and be like, Tony, man, I am so disappointed in you, dude. I said, you need to discipline yourself harder. You need to try harder to stay away from this cell. You need to work at that. Is that what you're going to tell me? 
<laughs> no, right? I hope not. Right? Are you going to be apologetic? Are you going to say, man, Tony, I know that before you used to be able to do that, but now you can't. I'm sorry, I know you want to. I know the bumpy mats, you know, your favorite thing in the world, but, but you can't do it anymore. Is that what you're going to do? No, no, no. You know what you're going to tell me? You're going to say, dude, think for a minute. Would you think about the reality that you can experience? You want to sleep on that bumpy mat? Dude, there are California kings out there, right? There's memory foam. There's Egyptian cotton sheets. You want to sleep on that when this is what's available to you, right? You're going to say to me, dude, you want to wash yourself in that lousy sink? There are bathtubs, brother, right? There's showers, there's soap, there's loofahs, right? Not that I use a loofah, I'm a man, so I use a brick to wash my body <laughs> when I'm in the shower, right? But what are you going to tell me? You're going to say, dude, don't, don't focus on, focus on what you've been free to do. See, the grace of God teaches me to say no. Because the grace of God says, no, man, your heavenly father has set you free from that stuff. God doesn't want you to be a prisoner to your selfishness and to your pride and to your lusts anymore. He has freed you to new frontiers. And God's grace wants to release these things. That's why in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, by the way, the apostle Paul says this. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then he says this. So should we go on sinning? Should we go on sinning? You know what Paul says? He says, absolutely not. Translation, that's dumber than a one-legged cat trying to bury a turd on an ice pond, right? Why? Why, why would you do that when you have this? And you see what the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle Paul says, man, the law of God is not good enough motivation. Fear of being caught is not good enough motivation. Man, it's the grace of God. It's God's grace to you and I that frees us, it liberates us, Right? And, and opens us up to new frontiers that God desires for us. And you guys, I think it's important that you know this too. It's not only saying no to sin and yes to godly living, but everything, everything in the Christian life, for those of us who follow Jesus, is to be motivated by the grace of God. I'm telling you, it's all over the scripture. Let me just give you a few examples, but it is everywhere. Let me just give you a few, all right? So the, one of the things that we know in the Bible, the Bible tells us that Christians should be charitable, that we should care for the needs of others, right? But, but the Bible, it's so important that you know this, the Bible doesn't say be charitable. It doesn't just give you an action or a behavior, but it always tells us why we are to be charitable. Let me show you a passage here. In Acts chapter four, I'll put it up on the screen here. It says this, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's charity. Now watch what he says. This is so important. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. You guys see what he just did? He says, man, they were so charitable, but they weren't just charitable to be charitable. They weren't just charitable because it was the humane thing to do. They weren't just charitable because, oh man, these people are in need and we should help them. No, no, no. The reason they were charitable is because God's grace was at work. It was working in their lives and it was showing up. That belief system affected their thoughts and that thought affected their behaviors and they showed grace to other people. You guys, another example, I'll just give you another one. I mean, it's all over scripture. Forgiveness, Ephesians chapter four. It says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That's an action, right? Forgive each other, forgive each other. That sounds nice. That's really hard to do. Sounds nice. But he doesn't just give us an action. Look what he says. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See what he does there? 
You see what he just did? He just, he just tied that action to the power of the gospel of grace. He said, listen, you need to forgive, but not just forgive to forgive because you and I know that if I just told you to forgive, you don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. But he says, man, no, no, think about the way Jesus forgave you. Think about that day. Think about that moment, that event when God's grace appeared. You think about that and then that's gonna change the way you think and that's gonna change the way you act. We talked about this last week, right? The time when I was forgiven the 10,000 talents should make me want to forgive the 100 denarii. If that doesn't make sense to you, you should check out last week's sermon. It'll make more sense to you, right? Check this next one out. I'll give you another one. Sexual morality. Did you guys know that the Bible tells us that sexual morality, that to live a sexually moral life that God desires for us is rooted in the grace of God? Do you know that? I'll show you. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Now that's an action, right? And you guys know as well as I do that if I just, if that was my sermon this morning, if I just got up and said, okay, everyone, ready? Don't be sexually immoral. Let's pray. Band's gonna come up and play some awkward song now and uh, we're gonna be let out. If that's what I did this morning, you know, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. If I just said, hey, quit looking at porn and uh, don't have affairs. Quit cheating on your spouse, right? And uh, live the, the sexual lifestyle that God wants you to. Okay, I'm out. Let's pray. I'm finished. If I just did that, you know that there's no power in that. It doesn't work because that's behavior modification, But look what Paul says. He says, no, flee from sexual immorality. Don't you know? Think think about it, guys. Think. He's like, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. When was I bought at a price? The day grace appeared? Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I was bought at a price from God. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see what had just happened there. Paul tells us, no, God's grace motivates us to live a sexually moral lifestyle. God's grace motivates us. It works within us to live a, a charitable lifestyle. Here's the last one. I'll give you one more. Generosity. Financial generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what the apostle Paul tells him. He says, but since you excel in everything. He's like, you guys are doing great. You're excelling in everything. He's like, see to it that you also excel in giving. It's like you need to, you need to work on giving financially. Make that a, a, something that you, there's a, a part of your heart. Look what he says, though. For, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, see what he's saying there? Because you guys know about grace, right? That though he was rich, Christ made himself poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. You see what he says there? He says, man, that what drives you, what motivates you is the grace of God. And you guys, I can give you illustration after illustration after illustration. I put it this way in my notes. You can jot it down if you want to as well. I thought it was helpful. Every behavior commanded in the New Testament, and I mean every, Every behavior that's commanded in the New Testament is driven by grace. Every commandment. Be merciful as Christ has been merciful to you. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Be charitable like Jesus was charitable to you. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. You see what, you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying once you understand grace, everything becomes driven by grace. Uh, I like the way Mike Bullmore I mentioned him earlier. He put it this way. He said that that the gospel of grace is the flywheel that empowers the Christian life. You guys know what a flywheel is, right? It's what gives power. It's the the source that gives power in the engine to everything else in in the vehicle. And, And he's saying, man, that's in the Christian life. The gospel of God's grace is the flywheel. It motivates everything, right? I love that idea. See, because I believe, you guys, what we need more than a theoretical grace what we need more than an abstract conceptual grace is we need a functional grace. 
We need a grace that doesn't just sit idly in our brains and just hovers around in here. We need a grace that works itself all the way through into our behaviors and our actions. And I believe that that is exactly the lifestyle that God has called those who follow Christ to, a life that is defined by, a life that is directed by, a life that is driven by the grace of God. The grace of God. I think that's what God has in mind for us. I like um, David Simmons. He's a counselor. And he, a Christian counselor, and he summed up his career this way. And I thought this was so profound. I'll just read this to you, this quote. He said, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that there are two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians. He said, and I believe they are these. Number one, the failure to understand, receive, and to live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And number two, the failure to give out that unconditional love and forgiveness and grace to other people. Look what he says, is so good. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, a concept of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated to the level of our emotions. And you say, I agree with him. Like what he's saying is most of the problems that you and I face in this life as it relates to following Jesus and experiencing the things that God desires for us comes in a failure to make connections in our life to the grace of God. We don't make those connections. So let me close with this. I'll ask a question. And then after this question, I'll give a few illustrations and then we'll, we'll pray and be finished. But here's the question I want to ask you this morning, just quite simply, in light of this conversation, all right? Have you ever found yourself asking this question? Do you ever find yourself asking this question? In your circumstances, in your situations, in your dilemmas in life, do you find yourself asking this question? How does the gospel of God's grace inform, motivate, and direct this situation, this, this, this circumstance, this dilemma that I'm facing in my life? Do you guys ever ask yourself that question? For some of you, are like, I, I never even think to ask that question, right? I believe that this is what the Christian life is all about. It's, it's asking always, constantly, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every dilemma, it's asking the question, how does the grace of God inform me, direct me? How does it teach me how to react to this person? How does it teach me how to respond? How does God's grace teach me in this situation? That's what the Christian life is all about. It's asking that question. You guys, that difficult thing you're facing at work, your boss, who's just a total jerk face, right? Your, your coworker, you have a problem with them. How, have you asked the question, how does God's grace teach me to react, to respond? How does it drive me and motivate me in this circumstance? You guys, in your marriage, the problems that you're facing right now, the hostility that you're going through, the dry patch that you're experiencing, have you asked the question, how does the grace of God, what Jesus Christ has done for me, how does that inform me? How does that instruct me? How does that teach me how to live the way that God wants me to in this situation? You guys, in your addictions, that, that sin you keep going back to time and time again, if you ask the question, how does God's grace motivate me? How does it drive me? How does what happened there teach me what to do today? Have you asked that question, right? In your relationships, in, in the unforgiveness and bitterness that you're experiencing, in that hostility that you have with your sibling and the sister you haven't talked to in two years and the brother that you only see once, every, once in a while on Thanksgiving but you don't even sit at the same table, right? That kind of thing. How does the grace of God, have you asked that question? How does the grace of God 
what you believe about God to be true, how does that work itself down, teach you and motivate you and instruct you in that? And you guys, I believe that that is what the Christian life is all about. It's being driven by grace. And this, by the way, is why I really think we need each other. Because honestly, we're not real good at making those connections sometimes. I'm not real good at making those connections sometimes. And so you know what? I need, I, need, I need other people in my life. I need you guys. I need to be part of a life group. I need to have friends in my life who can help me make those connections, can help me say, man, let's talk about how the grace of God is gonna help you in this circumstance. Let's talk about how the grace of God is gonna teach you how to react in this circumstance. Let's talk about how the grace of God is gonna drive you to say no to ungodliness in this circumstance. If we, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. It says, um, it, says, uh, it says that we need to encourage each other every day. Every day. As long as it's called today so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're making those connections. It's happening because you know you've experienced grace when you're driven by grace. It drives you in every aspect of your life. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And as they do, I just wanna challenge you in this time between you and God, as we sing, as we worship, would you pray? Would you think? Would you interact with God? Talk to him. And would you ask him specifically about the thing you're going through this morning, the, the financial situation that you're enduring, the, the, the relational hardship, the prodigal son or daughter, the whatever it is. Would you talk to him about that? And would you ask him, would you say, God, can you teach me how your grace motivates, drives, informs this thing in my life? Would you ask him for that? I believe that's a prayer that God would love to answer. He'd love to answer that for you. Would you pray that? Would you ask him to help you with that? For some of you this morning, maybe you're a person that's come here and you've never embraced God's grace. You just never have. And you've, you've never experienced the grace of God. Well, the good news is this, is that what Jesus Christ did that day, that event when God's grace appeared, means that salvation is available for anybody. And if you're a person that's been like, man, I've tried to define and direct life on my own terms and it's not working, and I, I just, I desperately need God's grace. If you're in that position, look, this morning, maybe for you, maybe for the first time, you wanna cry out to God and say, Jesus, I, I wanna follow you. I, wa I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want your grace to define and to direct me. And you can do that this morning. You don't have to do anything crazy. There's not like some kind of seance or ritual. You can just pray from your hearts to, to God's heart and just ask him. Say, God, I wanna surrender myself to you. I wanna give myself over to your grace. Be transformed by it, right? You guys can do that here this morning. So in this time, we worship it's in. I'll pray and then you pray. You talk to God. For some of you, this might be the first time you've ever prayed. Talk to God. Interact with him in your heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, I wanna say thank you that you didn't just tell us that you're a gracious God, but you showed us. Man, you proved it. <laughs> and and uh, when you came and you died on the cross, Jesus, you displayed for us the full extent of your grace to us. And Lord, it's because of that that everything changes. Everything changes. In that one act, you taught us what it means to forgive. In that one act, you taught us what it means to be merciful, to be patient. In that one act, you revealed to us what it means to be generous. In that one act, you revealed to us what it means to be charitable, to be hospitable. In that one act, you taught us what it means to destroy racism. Father, everything hinges on that moment. The grace of God has appeared to all men. And God, it teaches us now. 
And I pray that, Lord, you would help us to be a people who, who aren't just a people that know about grace in some kind of heady, knowledgeable way, but doesn't affect our lives in any way. I pray that we wouldn't have a theoretical grace or an abstract grace or just a simply a theological grace. I pray that you would have a grace that functions in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, what you've done for us is the greatest display of your grace, and it empowers us to live the life that you've called us to. We're no longer under the law, we're under grace. So I pray that as we go from this place, that you would help us, Jesus, help us to, to make those connections. I know that there's many people in here who are dealing with some really hard stuff, really hard stuff in their lives, their marriages and their relationships, with, with, with health crises that are being faced. But Lord, your grace gives us power. It gives us power. And I pray that we plug into it, Lord, that you would transform our hearts as a result of it. We ask you these things in Christ's name.